Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Confessions of a Pastor, where I'm reflecting on things that I've learned over the 13 years that I've spent in ministry. And in this episode's podcast, I'm specifically thinking about a math lesson that I've learned. Well, not really a math lesson, more a lesson about why ministry isn't easy. And that's because in ministry... The one is always greater than the 99. So let's get into this week's sermon so you can understand exactly what I mean. So I want to start out our time together today by asking you a question. What's the hardest job that you can imagine? Now, before the coronavirus outbreak began in the United States in early March, we all probably would have answered that question a little bit differently than we will today. Back then, you may have dreaded the thought of being a CEO of a major corporation. After all, there has got to be a lot of stress when you're overseeing a company the size of Amazon or Apple or Disney. There are shareholders that you have to keep happy and employees that you have to keep motivated. And then there's that never-ending quest to do better in the next quarter than you did in the previous quarter. And of course, it hasn't got any easier being a CEO over the last few months. Now you don't just have to be concerned about your investors and your profits and the bottom line for your business. You also have to be concerned with the health and the well-being of your employees and your customers, too. And then on top of that, you have to make the nearly impossible decision on whether or not your business is going to be open or if you're going to keep your doors closed. But when you remember that the typical CEO makes 278 times what their average employee does, well, that might just make you a little bit more willing to put up with some of the stress and rigor of being a CEO. Or prior to the outbreak of the coronavirus, you may have thought that one of the hardest jobs there is would be something like a politician. After all, when you're a politician, someone is always complaining about the work that you do or the work that you don't get done. And the next election cycle is never more than a few years away, so you're never more than a few years away from potentially being out of a job. When you add to that the fact that Congress's approval rating hasn't been higher than 31% in the last decade, you'd probably start to feel like one of the most hated people in the country if you were a politician. And then when you think about all of the pressures that our politicians are facing right now because of what's happening in the world, from the spread of the coronavirus to the economic downturn that we're experiencing to ongoing racial tensions in America, and there just aren't too many people that would want that job. But when you remember that incumbents are re-elected to office 90% of the time and that there are plenty of special interest groups out there who are willing to help line the pockets of our politicians, well, that might just make the job of being a politician a little bit easier to bear. But of course, a lot has changed over the last few months, and most of us wouldn't put CEOs or politicians at the top of our list for the hardest jobs that we can imagine. Right now, we'd put doctors and nurses and other medical professionals pretty high up on that list. And we'd also think about the employees at grocery stores and gas stations and even restaurants who have kept our world running since March. And we'd think about all of the teachers who are getting ready to go back to school, whatever school may look like in their part of the country, over the next few weeks. And we think about all of the parents who have been working from home while trying to raise their kids while so much of our world has been shut down since March. But I'm willing to guess today that there is one job that wouldn't have made your list of the hardest jobs that you can imagine either before or after the coronavirus outbreak began. And that's my job, the job of being a pastor. Because being a pastor 
Well, it can't really be that hard, can it? I mean, all a pastor has to do is show up on Sunday mornings and talk about God for 20 or 30 minutes. And anybody could do that, right? Now, if that's all that you think that a minister does, then you would probably be shocked to learn that Forbes magazine, the same Forbes magazine that ranks the world's top companies as well as the wealthiest people alive, is actually ranked being a minister as the fifth toughest leadership role that there is. Marion Aldridge, who is a former coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of South Carolina, as well as a former minister himself, shares a similar sentiment in an article that he wrote entitled, The Hardest Job in the World. Here's what he writes. A pastor has one of the hardest jobs in the world. When I was a pastor, I wasn't willing to say that sentence. It seemed self-serving and whiny. I heard other people say how hard a pastor's work is, but my good friends who are not pastors also work hard. Since I had another job for 15 years and since I am now retired from ministry, I'm willing to say it. A pastor has one of the hardest jobs in the world. Now, I have to confess that I agree with Marion Aldridge on both fronts here. First, it does seem a little bit whiny to sit here on a Sunday morning and tell you how hard it is to be a pastor. But when you look past the whininess of it all, and you take a look at the hard numbers, which tell us that 35 to 40% of ministers survive less than five years on the job, or that after 10 years, between 60 and 80% of ministers have quit, or that only one out of every 10 people who have served as a pastor will retire as a pastor, and it becomes clear that the folks at Forbes might just be on to something here. I mean, let's just think about the most basic part of my job. The part of my job that even my daughter understood when she was just two years old. That's right. When I asked my daughter when she was two what, I, what she thought her daddy did for a living, what my job was, I still remember her answer even six years later. She said that her daddy's job was to talk. And when I pressed her a little further and asked her what I said, she said, good morning and amen, which kind of sums it up. But everybody knows that a big part of being a pastor is that we talk. But what we do is so much more than just talk. For 20 or 30 minutes every single week, I'm not just expected to talk to you. I'm expected to make some sort of public presentation. And in this public presentation, I'm expected to engage and entertain you so that you'll actually tune in to what I'm saying. But in case you haven't realized this yet, there is a whole industry that's devoted to doing that exact same thing. We call that business show business. And there are countless TV shows that are trying to engage you and entertain you for 30 minutes to an hour every single week so that you'll stay tuned into their show so that you can see a message from one of their sponsors. And the truth of the matter is that Hollywood does a far better job than I ever could at entertaining you. And there's a really good reason for that. Take one of TV's most successful sitcoms over the time that I've been in ministry. Now, I started into ministry in July of 2007. And in September of 2007, CBS launched a little show called The Big Bang Theory, which ran until 2019. Now, over the course of its 12-year run, The Big Bang Theory aired 279 episodes. 279 episodes. That makes it the 22nd longest running show in the history of primetime television. But over the course of that same 12-year stretch of time, I preached almost 600 sermons. And those are just the sermons that I preach. That doesn't count Bible studies that I've led or anything else along those lines. 
Or to put it in a slightly different perspective for you, at their most prolific, the Big Bang Theory was producing 24 episodes each year. But in an average year of ministry, I've preached about twice that many sermons. And if George Costanza, the classic character from another top-rated comedy, Seinfeld has taught us anything, it's that it's a whole lot easier to go out on a high note after making one good joke than it is to keep an audience engaged for a long period of time. And you also have to remember that all of the sermons that I've preached over the last 13 years have been Adam Shell originals. But the Big Bang Theory has employed 33 different writers over the course of their 12-season run. That means that for the average episode of the Big Bang Theory, they had eight different writers working on it. I can only imagine how much better my sermons would be if I had seven other people helping me write them every single week. So after 13 years of ministry, I can confess that one of my biggest frustrations is trying to keep my messages fresh and meaningful for you. But the struggle to prepare good sermons week after week is far from the only thing that makes being a pastor one of the toughest leadership roles that there is. Tom Rainer, who is a former president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources, was able to elaborate on some of the challenges of being a minister when he conducted an informal Twitter poll a few years back. In this poll, he asked pastors what they liked the least about being a minister. Here are the top 10 things that pastors mentioned in this poll. Conflict and complaining church members. The loss of family time. Busy work. Church members whose priorities are their own comfort and preferences. An expectation to be there for any and every church event. Non-productive meetings. Being on call 24-7. Confronting people. Problems with staff members. And a church that isn't passionate about reaching their community. And although all of these are legitimate issues that every minister has to deal with, none of them are the reason why I'm confessing today that ministry ain't easy. For me, the reason why ministry ain't easy can actually be found in a parable from the Gospel of Luke. Now, a parable is just a short story with a moral to it, and Jesus loved to teach with these parables. So we find parables throughout the Gospels because the Gospels are essentially just biographies of Jesus. And the parable that explains why I believe ministry ain't easy well, comes from Luke chapter 15. So we'll start reading in Luke 15 verse 3. Here's what it says. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and he places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their heart and their lives. Now in church life, we can make a pretty big deal about numbers. So in church life, we count how many people attend our worship services each week, and then we compare that number to the previous week and the previous year to see how we're doing. And in church life, we will give ourselves great big old pats on the back whenever our offerings surpass our budgets or when we add another name to our church's membership roster. But we also freak out when those numbers start trending in the opposite direction. And you know what? 
that really hasn't changed just because some churches like ours haven't been meeting in person for months. I can tell you exactly how many unique viewers watch our sermons every single week on Facebook, on YouTube, and on our church's website. And I can tell you that we're still keeping a really close eye on our budget and that we're watching every one of our expenses. And I can tell you that I still get excited when I see that someone new has liked our Facebook page. And I can also tell you that it bothers me more than it probably should when I see some of those numbers start going down. But the biggest way that I see the church's fixation with numbers play out, well, it happens whenever I get together with one of my friends or colleagues in ministry. Because whenever I get together with one of my friends or colleagues in ministry and I ask them how their church is doing, one of the first five words out of their mouth is always a number. Always. And it's usually followed by a qualifier that makes that number sound bigger and better than it actually is. So whenever two ministers get together and talk, the start of our conversation sounds something like this. Hey, John, how's church doing? Well, Adam, 80 people watched us on Facebook Live on Sunday. And you know what? That's really not too bad since we only had 70 people worshiping with us when we were meeting in person before the coronavirus outbreak began. But in spite of our fixation on numbers, what Jesus' parable in Luke 15 tells us is that there is only one number that matters, and that's the one. To the shepherd in the story, the other 99 are a detail. The only thing that is important is the one sheep in need. The problem is that everyone in church is the one and not the 99. Everyone in church is the one and not the 99. Now here's what I mean. Everyone that is involved with our church has some kind of need. And as your pastor, I am called to find ways to minister to your needs. And that's not an easy thing for me to do. Because in a given week, I might be expected to celebrate with a couple that has just gotten married, and I might be expected to mourn at a graveside with a family who has just suffered an unthinkable loss. And I also might be expected to be jubilant over the arrival of a newborn baby, while at the same time, I'm expected to counsel with a mother who is struggling with her empty nest. In a given week, I may have to do premarital counseling in the morning and then work with a couple on the verge of divorce in the afternoon. And all of those things... They are just the tip of the proverbial iceberg when it comes to the needs that every single person in a congregation could have. So every time that I sit down and I start working on a sermon, my first thought and prayer is, God, what do your people need to hear from you? God, what do your people need to hear from you? And as I read through the Bible and I study a text and I start trying to put it all together, what I'm thinking about is you. I think about that great-grandmother in our congregation who hasn't been able to see her great-grandbaby since the coronavirus outbreak began. And I think about the person in our church who is sitting at home without an internet connection, who hasn't been able to join us for a live service in almost five months. And I think about the person in our church who's been taking care of their mom for years at home, who has struggled to make it into our building every week, but who hasn't missed a service since we started worshiping together online. And I think about the parents in our church who are worried about what school is going to be, look, be like for their kids this fall. And I think about the teachers in our church who are more than a little hesitant to go back into their classroom in the months to come. I think about the people in our church who are still scared to go out grocery shopping. And I think about the people in our church who are eating in restaurants a couple of days a week. And I think about the people in our church who are struggling to make ends meet right now. 
And I think about the people in our church who just hope that they can get back to work sometime soon. When I sit down and work on a sermon, I try to think about each one of the sheep in our flock. And I think about the challenges and the concerns that you might be facing. But here's my real confession for you today. It's hard to know what's going on with every sheep in our flock. It is. And that hasn't gotten any easier since we started doing church online. The truth is that right now we are reaching more people than we have in years at Melbourne Heights. And that means that every week we have somebody joining us that I know next to nothing about. They might be joining us from Georgia or Texas or California. They might be tuning into our service from South Korea or the United Kingdom. They might even be joining us from just down the street here in Louisville, Kentucky. But there are people worshiping with us right now that I've never met. People that I know almost nothing about. So it's hard. It's hard to know what's going on with every sheep in our flock. But I can also tell you, I will never know what's going on with you unless you tell me. I'll never know what's going on with you unless you tell me. But sometimes in church, we make that harder than it has to be to share with our pastor. Doug Paget, who was the founding pastor of Solomon's Porch in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he shares a pretty good story about this. As he tells the story, I recently met a man at an art show. While we were talking, the topic of what we each did for a living came up. When I told him that I was a pastor, he said, Really? Wow, I don't get to talk to too many pastors. Now, I assumed that he didn't go to church very often, so when he said, I've been a member of a large Baptist church for 11 years, I was a little surprised. Somewhat confused, I asked him, You've been a part of a church for 11 years and you don't talk to your pastor? He replied, Well... I hear what my pastor says, but I don't ever talk to him like this. He's really important, and he works hard to create the material for his sermons on Sundays. And I wouldn't want to bother him or take up too much of his time. You know, the same thing happens to me a lot. Now, most of you know that between myself and the rest of our church's staff and our deacons, we've been trying to make a weekly contact with just about every member and regular attender at our church. So I have a list of names that I sit down and I try to call just about every Thursday afternoon. And I can't tell you how many times after our conversations have started to wind down that the person that I've been talking with apologizes for taking up so much of my time. And then as we get ready to hang up on the phone, they say they're going to let me get back to work. And you know what? Sometimes I wish I could just kind of grab hold of their shoulders and say, this is my work. This is the most important thing that I do. Without these conversations and dozens like them that can happen in our hallways or on telephone calls or text messages or whatever else, nothing else that I do matters. If I don't know you, I can't minister to you. If I don't know you, I can't minister to you. Once again, Doug Padgett has a pretty good illustration that makes this point. As he puts it, when I preach at other churches, I often compare the experience to a blind date. I tell them how odd I find the practice. I tell them I recognize that for the next chunk of time, we're going to do something together as strangers that's normally done within a relationship. That the way it's supposed to work is that I would know them and that they would know me. I explain that normally you go on dates with people that you know and you trust and you feel safe with. But for this date, we're just going to fake it and act like we know each other. We'll do things like make it seem like we have a relationship and fully recognizing that we don't. 
and I tell them that I'm the worst kind of date. I'm going to do all of the talking, but the good news is that I probably won't call them for a second date once it's over. So if they can just tough it out for a little bit, they'll never have to see me again. As your pastor, I don't want to be the kind of minister that you never interact with outside of our worship services. Believe it or not, I actually want to know you. I want to know your hopes. I want to know your dreams as well as your fears and your failings. I want to share life with you because that's what being a church is all about. And that's what the shepherd does with his sheep. He shares life with them. And it's because the shepherd shares his life with the sheep that he knows them and that he can seek them out and that he can care for that one sheep when they're in need. So know that when I think about our church, I don't think about a flock of a hundred sheep. I think about a church filled with ones. Ones that matter to God more than anything. Ones that matter to me. So I want to get to know you better so that I can minister to you better. And we have a new way that we're trying to do that at Melbourne Heights. We have announced this over the last couple of Sundays, and I've already talked about it today. But today we're officially launching a brand new group on Facebook that will be our online campus throughout this pandemic and into the future. And I want you to be a part of this group. Now, this group is going to be a private group, so you're going to have to ask permission to join, and we'll give it to you. But by making it a private group, it will allow us to be more vulnerable with each other so that we can really get to know each other and we can know what's going on in each other's lives. And if you want to join that group, you can find us by searching for Melbourne Heights online on Facebook, or you can visit our church's website page at mhbclouisville.com, and you'll find a link for it there. But this group is going to allow us to connect throughout the week, to get to know each other better, and to grow in our faith together. And if you join the group and get involved, it will help our church minister better to you too. Because ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to get to know you better. We want to minister to you more. We want to share life with you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the chance that we have had to come together to worship you today, God. And I thank you for the, the chance that I've had to share this confession that ministry isn't easy. And it's not easy because I'm always thinking about the one. The one inside of our congregation that's in need, God. And you know the needs of everyone inside of our congregation. God, my prayer is that you help me to know those needs better too. And that you help each of us get to know each other better. Get to understand what's happening in our lives so that we can really care and love for each other. So that we can really serve each other. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has helped you understand how much that you mean to me as your pastor, and the fact that I can't really do my ministry if I don't know you and what your needs are. Now, next week, we're going to continue on, and I'll have another confession for you, so I hope that you'll join us when that episode drops Sunday at noon. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, you can have that sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. You can also join us every Sunday morning live at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church's website. That's mhbclouisville.com slash live. I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.